Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. All right, we're here again. Matt Stocks, Jesse Leach. It feels like, again, a while since we've done this. Obviously, we're being regular with our release patterns, but we've been very irregular with our record patterns as of late, yeah. haven't we? And it's been... We have. It's been a pretty wild start to the year for various reasons, um, some of which we'll be getting into in a, uh, an upcoming Patreon episode because, yeah, um, you know, there's there's a lot to talk about and catch up on. But we won't do that here because we've got a great guest joining us this week and, and we often with the guest episodes like to jump straight in to the chats with them. Give us a little backstory, Jesse. I actually kind of was aware that this guy was on your Instagram and I think I'd seen him comment on something and I was like, oh, wow, that would be a really interesting person to have on Stoke the Fire. So what is the history with you and Lyman Good? Where does that connection begin? And then uh, we'll we'll bring him onto the show. Yeah, it's all via uh, Instagram. Um, I believe he reached out to me first. I'm not sure exactly. He can clear this up, maybe. Um, but he wrote me some really deep stuff about how, you know, lyrics that I've written have helped and what he's gone through. And his story is, you know, very interesting. And I just love the attitude he has. He, he just, he's a fighter, not just physically, but spiritually. He's got this mindset. He's got this way about him. And you can see in his eyes and you can tell by the way he posts and what, what he stands for and who he is. Like, it's just, he's a good, got a good spirit about him. And I know he's been through it. So uh, yeah, we connected on that level, just kind of went back and forth. And I just immediately took to the guy. I thought he was great. So it was kind of a no brainer and just a mutual respect. And I love that about him. So I'm been looking forward to this. And it was something that's been in the back of my mind for a while to have him on. And then finally, you know, we just made it happen. So this is something that's a long time coming in my mind. So I'm stoked on it. Yeah, we've had a really good run as of late as well of fighters. Um, you know, this is the first actual professional fighter that we've had as a guest on the show. But the last few guests that we've had on have been real, as you say, spirit warriors that have been through a lot of heavy stuff that have come through it and not just survived, but really changed the world around them with their light and with their energy. Uh, and I already know um, that this is going to be another one of those really inspiring, uplifting, life-affirming episodes. So without further ado, let's welcome onto the show our soon-to-be new friend, Lyman Good, uh, who joins us via the wonderful medium of Zoom. For another episode of Stoke the Fire. What's up, Lyman? Good to see yeah, you, brother. Man. What's going on, guys? Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Pleasure, oh, absolute brother. pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So, yeah, why don't you confirm or deny um, <laughs> <laughs> how, how you and Jesse linked up and, and first started talking, first of all, and then we'll we'll uh, jump into your story from there. 
Sure. Uh, I concur with uh, what he was saying. I had reached out to him initially. So, yeah. um, you know, I've I've always been a fan of, you know, obviously with Kill Switch and, uh, you know, Times of Grace. And I noticed, you know, I, I try to follow people that I feel like I connect with spiritually, emotionally, you know, mentally. And um, right off the bat, you know, just going through his stuff and kind of puts his heart out on his sleeve and puts everything out there in terms of what he's gone through and how, you know, his music is his escape. But um, I'm sure it's not the first time he's heard how his music is also other people's form of escape and um, other people's ability to get by and get through with things and, you know, in their personal lives. So I just figured that, man, you know, people like this in life need to be appreciated. And um, I figured, you know, it'd be cool for him to know how much his lyrics and what he goes through and how he puts it out there for everybody else to see that it means a lot to other people, especially me, because I was I was going through something at the time. And I've, I don't know, just clicked with him instantly. And it was just vibes back and forth with, uh, you know, writing a little bit about spirituality and how music helps and about life. And um, yeah, so I'm definitely excited to be here talking with you guys in person to connect more because I'm a very personable type of guy. So Again, thank you for the opportunity, Jesse, and thanks for reaching out to me, Matt. I appreciate being here. Yeah, and thank you again, I mean, for what you just said, but you're right. You know, I think people don't realize how artists sometimes need to hear that they're helping. Because, <laughs> you know, someone like myself, um, you know, and I will not go off on a tangent about this, but, and I'm sure you even as well as a fighter, you have moments of insecurity, you have moments where you sort of question your path, and when you have people that come in and just something as simple as I appreciate what you do or you're motivating me to do something, et cetera, et cetera, that stuff really does help along the way. And that's definitely what you did for me and what you've been doing for me through your post because you're inspiring me to get up off my ass and physically move, <laughs> which I need to do. I see your videos and your pictures and I'm like, damn, dude is ripped, <laughs> you know? So um, it's inspiring on, on many levels. So yeah, let, let's get into it, my brother. So start from the beginning if you will where does this all start for you not just with fighting but with with your story as a human being did you have a rough childhood what happened to you to sort of put you into the headspace that you are now where you're motivated and you're positive etc um i was a kid who grew up in east harlem new york for those of you unaware it's a gun toting gang banging drug dealing kind of neighborhood so it was a perfect storm for all the ingredients for me to follow in that path pretty much you know i've always had a problem with fitting in and wanting you know to aspire to be what i'm surrounded by but it seems you know growing up in that environment it just it's all you look forward to you know it's just um rival uh rivalry between gangs and um a lot of violence that you're surrounded by drugs but you know to me I was kind of always in my own world I was always that dude I was always just uh sitting by himself you know and uh, I was diving into the deep world of art believe it or not you know I grew up with uh very artistic and um I used to draw a lot I used to write a lot so that was kind of my my escape you know in music back then as well um, you know, I, I feel like for me, it wasn't so much the environment. A lot of people aren't fortunate enough 
to grow up in an environment that is satisfactory to their growth. And that's going to help with, you know, uh, their development. That's going to be pleasant. Not everyone gets to choose that. We're not choose. We're not chosen, you know, um, what we're born into. It's just the cars we dealt with. But to me, it's a matter of more of what you do with it. Um, I mean, either you can become a product of that environment or you can, you know, rise up out of it, which is the beautiful thing when you look at the human condition, when dealing with crime-ridden areas, you know, lower income areas. And I've definitely dipped my toe in that as a, as a kid as well. So you never got involved with, with the gang stuff or were you just sort of on the peripheral of all that? Did anyone ever mess with you because you were into the artistic stuff or did you hide the fact that you were getting into artistic stuff? Because I know that you sort of have to posture a little bit in in the ghettos and stuff to not get picked on or, or get into fights, which maybe you did. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, just, uh, you know, I, I only started fighting and training when I was older. Um, I, I didn't have any formal training as a kid, so it's not like I had any means of knowing um, you know, technique wise, how to defend myself or anything. So that, that didn't really matter to me. It was more of, like you said, just the ability to posture up in an environment where someone who listens to metal and rock music and paints their nails black and dresses the way they do and has the attitude that they walk around with that you had to be pretty much willing to accept the consequences that come with that because you're always going to be seen as someone different. How old are you as well, Lyman? What taught, what sort of era of growing up in New York are we talking about? Well, I was I was born and raised in uh, East Harlem. Lived there my whole entire life. But um, what time frame? Uh, I want to say like around my sixteens. Like I remember fifteen, sixteen years old. For some reason, that's sticking out to me. Um, you know, it, it was what was difficult about it is not so much. Um, not having, you know, the means to posture up every day and, you know, lean into the person that you're, that you are, but it's just more of having somebody um, like a father figure there for me. You know, I, I never had, my father wasn't, you know, uh, available emotionally. He was, he was there at the time physically uh, to spare the, you know, details. It was just a lot of, you know, growing up and being in a bad neighborhood, but then also not being in a good home setting either. So it's like I had nowhere to go other than music, art, and um, my own head. And as we all know, the head is the worst place to be. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly, and, um, it certainly can be. Yeah. So how old are you now? Thirty-seven. Okay, so we're talking what, like late late nineties, nineties, yeah, nineties, nineties, yeah. 90s okay yeah 90s 90s new york is very different from the new york today especially harlem did a lot of changing from that time Mm. on i mean there's still bits small bits of harlem but harlem was definitely dangerous back then yeah just trying just trying to as a as a semi-new yorker i've been here for a while but i just had to like put that into context what you're talking about yeah there's definitely been gentrification in the areas and they've knocked down you know buildings and put up new establishments and businesses condos and whatnot Mm. but listen you you could still you could dress up an environment but the energy and vibes of the environment don't don't change really yeah yeah. you could put up these fancy condos all it does is just makes people hide in stairwells in the projects and do the same things that they were doing in broad daylight Mm. you know do you so have you met- any brothers, mate, or are you the you know the 
I guess the the father figure in the absence of one in the home. Like, uh, what's two, what are your siblings? Two younger sisters. Oh wow! Yeah, and um, that I was also part of my. Uh, I feel like to me that was my trajectory in life was understanding that my sisters also didn't have their father available to them, so I needed to be someone who could be there to fulfill, you know, somewhat of the duties of a father. I'm not their father at the end of the day, I'm their brother, but it kind of forced me into a position where I felt like I had to, you know, try to fulfill that position, the duty of being a man in, you know, two little girls' lives who needed their dad. So that was, for me, also motivation, um, you know, to make sure that I'm in a good path in life and I do the right things and I try to live up to my last name. But, you know, it was, uh, at the end of the day, it was, there, there's always challenges because, you know, um, if it wasn't that, it, it was just other circumstances too, you know, that I was uh, always a feeling of just not feeling um, welcomed for the person that I was. Um, I got kicked out of like five high schools for always beating up the bullies. You know, that, that, that's one of the things that always bothered me. It was always seeing people, you know, take advantage of other people's weaknesses. Um, that kind of paints a picture, you know, of me at the time. I was also uh, put away in a psychiatric hospital around that age. Um, again, locked up for my beliefs and for the type of person that I was. Because the reason it all happened was um, I kept a journal in uh, my high school that I was going to at the time. And I had nowhere to plug away and put all my thoughts other than this journal. I, had, I didn't really have many friends. I didn't have, you know, uh, a male figure in my life to guide me. So for me, it was just me and this black book that I had of just pouring all my thoughts. And they found it. They had went through it and evaluated the, um, you know, the contents of it and deemed it necessary to lock me up. So to me, that was a turning point in my life as well. When I got out, I said to myself that I need to change. You know, um, close to around that time, I had also, I used to be on a lot of antidepressants and medications, you know. I had reached a point in my life where I was overwhelmed and frustrated. Like there was just no changing, you know, for me. So I had uh, overdosed on all my meds one day had to go to the hospital and had um, my stomach pumped. Um, that was pretty much my teens, you know, just going through things like that. Um, once I found martial arts, honestly, because I stopped drawing, I stopped writing. I said to myself after I got out of the hospital, you know, that I, I can't, I, I need to do things differently because me being me, puts me in a, you know, kind of puts me in a corner, puts me in a position where I feel like I got to hide who I am. And I, I hated that. I hated that I couldn't be who I was. And all I was was just someone trying to express themselves because of things that have happened to me since I was a kid. You know, I, I'm not going to be that person either to like cry and whine about it because we all go through things, man. Everyone's got a story and everyone's got some really dark, very depressing, very sad things that they live through. I just wanted to find a way to get through it. And it was taking me a long time at, you know, during my teens until I found martial arts. 
Before we get into martial arts, I'm curious, where's mom in this picture? Mom is, she lives in East Harlem. She was there all along. Um, she's another growing, inspiring place in my heart. You know, she's someone who's always believed in me and she's been honestly my source of strength through all this. If it wasn't for her, I don't know where I would be, to be honest. She's the one that always said, you know, <laughs> to this day, she says it. Um, anytime I need advice or anything, I go to my mom and I'll talk to her and ask her. And she'll always say the same thing. She was like, son, just spread your wings, say fuck it and fly. <laughs> <laughs> just be you, you know, fuck what everyone else thinks. And just remember that you're meant for greatness, that you have a job and you have a duty in this world. But you can't do those things without first accepting who you are as a person. So spread your wings. That's one thing she's always said to me as a kid and still does to this day. But uh, mom is good. She's still, um, she's in a much better place now. She found somebody who she's married to, who devotes their life to her. Like, God bless. Like, of, of all things I could ask for, it would just be that my mom is happy with someone. Because she went through a lot with my father. Um, you know, and uh, my sisters are also good. You know, it's uh, things are different now. That's good to hear, man. So martial arts enters. So you're you owe pretty much take all your meds. You you overdose. You get your stomach pumped. You're in the hospital. Where does where where like you you decided to change, but where and when was it and why was it martial arts? How did that happen? I I remember I remember the day I got out of the hospital and we were walking back home because it was uh the ironically the same hospital I was born in wasn't far as um. Uh, far from where I grew up. I remember we we're walking back and I just felt different, man. I felt so much anger. I felt like angry. I mean, anger, more anger than I, I feel like, you know, I, I'm able to comprehend as a, you know, a 16 year old kid just getting out of a psychiatric hospital because of, you know, um, being seen different, you know, being misunderstood. So I just remember feeling very fucking angry at the world, dude. I was just in a place was like, I, I have to do something. I have to change, you know, and it didn't martial arts didn't enter my world right there. And then there was still some time until later on, I actually started training for the first time. But the first change that happened was just, I had to start concealing things. I had to kind of create this uh, survival method to be able to blend in and not stand out in ways that would make people look at me like there's something wrong, you know? Um, and the prospect of martial arts started when my mom brought it up to me. She was like, why don't you start training? You know, she saw I was getting into a lot of fights. Um, by then I, I was already, I wasn't even in high school anymore. I already got kicked out for biting some kid's neck and taking a chunk off his throat because he was pouring baby powder on some foreign exchange student. Um, so I was like, yeah, sure. You know, we You're like a to, high school uh, vigilante. I love it. <laughs> yeah, bro, you don't understand. I, I was <laughs> I I punched the tooth out of this kid from Catholic high school. I bit a chunk off another kid's neck and had a like a little court case because of that. Um it, it's just it was just anger, man. I had so much anger that I felt like if I'm gonna direct it and carry it, I might as well aim it at the people I feel deserved it, you know. 
Now, I'm at an age now where I understand anger is not the way to deal with things, you know, and I have to be more accepting and understanding of other people because bullies, at the end of the day, they, they're, they've gone through some shit too, which makes them who they are. But at the time, I don't care, man. I'm just looking at these people, picking on other people. So anyways, my mom said, you know, why don't we start training? And she decided to do it with me. Uh, we started doing it together as like a hobby. Bro, like the from day one, as soon as I walked in, I went to, um, which is a still still the team that I train with to this day is Team uh, Tiger Shulman's. There was a school in Manhattan, downtown in the Chelsea area. I walked in, the smell of the sweat, the sound of just gloves hitting the leather, and the sound the noises people were making. It sounded like exhaustion, and there was just this this emanating force this energy that felt like man like i've i've not felt this like this sense of home since i was younger since i used to pour you know my thoughts into you know a pen and paper you know the only other thing that ever brought that feeling to me of like a sense of home was music anytime i listen to music but i walked in i was like man i, I already love this place so you know long story short i i just fell in love it was instant love for me. I trained every single day. I trained my ass off every single day. My mother couldn't afford the amount of training that I, I wanted to do. So um, my instructor at the time, he had approached me about, you know, helping in exchange for my, uh, you know, my tuition. So my first job was cleaning the school and scrubbing the school and maintaining it and making sure that everything was tidy. So then I did that obsessively. Everything always for me started with a sense of obsession because when I do things, I, I get very obsessed with them. So they gave me that job. So I would train like three, four hours. I'd clean the school and then train some more like hour, like for another hour or two. It got to a point where like, who, who is this? Who is this kid? Like we have to close, <laughs> you know, it's time to leave. So they eventually trusted me with the keys to the school. So I would say they're all hours of the night, man. Like I would train, clean, and then stay there till 1, 2 a.m. and train wow. some more and then go home. I'd only go home when I felt so exhausted that my I couldn't, I didn't have the energy to think because my, my enemy was always my head. Anytime I got in my head, it was always my hell for me. That's such a holistic approach. I love that. And you know, I'm sure you've heard this before when you, if you've talked to people about your story, but in, in a funny way, it kind of reminds me of the movie Karate Kid. You know, I was going to say it sounds like a film, right? Like the kid who just jumps in head first and in order to sort of fulfill the entire view of changing your life, it's not just the martial arts, the discipline that comes with it, but the cleanliness, the the sense of community that I'm sure you started to feel with that. Like that just that's incredible. And and what it does to your brain. And I can actually speak from experience here. Um, not many people know before I ever touched a microphone, um, I was deeply in love with martial arts. I, I used to train. I used to live it. I used to wear my top gi to school. I used to slick my hair back. I was obsessed with Bruce Lee. I used to sleep on a rice mat. I had no furniture in my room. Like I was wow. martial arts obsessed from the age of 12 to about 14, 15 before I discovered punk rock. But that changed my life too. And it, it took me out of my shell, gave me self-confidence. It helped me feel more comfortable around people. Uh, and then when I stopped doing it, it that kind of went away, but 
what an amazing, healthy obsession and transition to happen to you. And the fact that, you know, looking back, like here, here you are still doing it. Would you ever have thought, did you know back then? Were you like, this is it? No, not, not at all. I just, you know, I was just taking it day by day. I, at the time, I mean, I didn't even know what I wanted to do for myself in life. I had a future. It was probably one of the, one of the most amazing things to have in life is mindfulness and putting yourself in the present moment. I never existed in the present moment. I've always worried about my future. I've always regretted things about my past. Martial arts was just, uh, it was it was like a, a hammer that just forged the sense of mindfulness, you know? Um, so I, I didn't think years later that this was where I would be. It wasn't even what I wanted, to be honest. I didn't want to fight. I didn't want to teach, you know, because that's, that's my other, um, you know, saving grace was owning a school and teaching, but... No, I, I would have never in a million years, if you asked me then that I'd be sitting here, you know, um, with the achievements I've accomplished and the things I've gone through doing a podcast with Jesse, <laughs> you know, um, no. It's when incredible, was your man. first fight? What age? Like, how does that? opportunity present itself do you get pushed into it by your mom or a teacher do you go after it yourself and how does it go do you win i had i was very grateful to have the guidance of my coaches at the time so the the person who be, who's become a, a mentor in my life are my coaches they're ron shulman and um Dan, daniel shulman he's the owner of tiger shulman's the studio that i uh I own and I teach from, they were the ones that kind of just took me under their wings and started coaching me. And I also had a, a best friend of mine who I met through, through training. It was the first person when I walked in my first class, the dude beat the shit out of me, like threw me through the, the sheetrock downstairs, um, just trained me so bad. I was like uh, on the verge of puking. And then after that, threw me into a class. I remember I went home shell-shocked. I just laid in bed and I was staying there. I was like, man, that dude was out of his fucking mind. I love it. I got to go back. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back. Um, anyways, they, they were coaches to me and said, hey, I think you're ready for a fight. Um, honestly, I don't remember a lot of my thought process. I just remember just, okay. I was a very quiet person too back then. I changed a lot over time. You know, uh, teaching helped me to kind of tap into my voice more. Another thing that I would never thought a million years was that, you know, the fact that I'd be able to freely speak because I was a very quiet person. You know, I was, I guess growing up, I was a little shy, but also just very, um, just kind of locked, locked in my head a lot. And I wouldn't talk to people a lot of times, but um um i don't know i didn't know what to expect for the first fight went in there and it was perhaps the the turning point for me to know that this is a hundred percent what i want to do for the rest of my life because the joy of the win and um the experience that i felt and the joy the true joy that i felt because it was wasn't something that was given to me it was something that i had to earn and i had to work my ass off 
and I had to train really, really hard. You know, I prepared for this like like I was prepared for death. I thought if I don't win, it's it's life or death for me. You know, that was that was the mindset that I, I went into. Therefore, the win, man, it was just I, I've never experienced a drug like that in my entire life. Well, that leads ever... me to a very important question, which is maybe the same as what Jesse's gonna ask is is um when there's that much pressure on the win, and it is, as you say, the ultimate feeling, the ultimate high. When it goes the other way and you lose, how do you bounce back from that? And is that the thing that sends you into spirals of depression as a fighter and a competitor? Because I mean, you talk about performance from Jesse's side, and he knows that feeling of like coming down from a an, an euphoric and incredible moment, like a win would be for you. But then, what about the other side and the effects of that when it's your day to day life? Is that kind of where you were going? No, but that's a great question. <laughs> Um, losing for the first time because I, I was again I was grateful I, um, I had good coaches and, a, and a, an amazing team you know and um, I was blessed with the opportunity to just win 10 straight in a row to uh, so I got to um, to win a tournament and uh, for Bellator and became the the first welterweight champion for the Bellator uh, circuit. And they're you know, huge, right? They're like one of the biggest in the States. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was former Bellator welterweight for that. I, I was grateful for all the opportunities. All of that was great and all. But the the height of heightness comes with the um, the amount that you fall, you know, when you realize that part of life is losing. You know, I thought part of life is winning. I thought that's all I'm here to do is to win. If I'm not winning, then I'm I'm not living. When you lose, you go through a psychological metamorphosis where you understand that in order to win, you need the losses because that is probably one of the best learning tools that there is, especially in martial arts. I think, you know, of course we aspire to win. There's no higher highs than, than winning, and there's no lower lows than losing. But many of the greats have always lost. You, you, we look at Michael Jordan. We look at all these like people who are prolific icons in their sport, and all we value is the wins. All we see on TV is the wins. All we glamorize is just the highs and the wins. But we don't know how many times Jordan had to fail with his free throws, how many times he spent – time in the dark train uh you know practicing and not doing good we just don't see that part people don't see what we go through in order to be at our best one day out of the entire year for you know that specific hour at that specific time you know you're demanding essentially perfection and i'm sure jesse can understand this and relate to you know your that you have a lot of people who are there for you and they're expecting the jesse leach that it's only portrayed, you know, on, on TV is only portrayed on, on YouTube and what people see, but what they don't see is the preparation and all the hard work it takes for you to be Jesse Leach in that one moment, in that one point of time. It's very difficult. There's a lot of demand, but you know, I don't, I, I love it. I love the pressure of it because it, because it demands so much of me, it's, it forces me to grow, puts me in places where I have to expand as a human. Um, but 
it takes a certain type of person, honestly. You know, not everybody's built to be a performer, a fighter, athlete. Um, and that type of mindset can have its highs and its lows. It doesn't matter what you're doing. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's really a valid thing to, to let people know about the amount of time and effort it takes for those moments. You know, like a show, you're on tour, you do it a bunch, but fighting, you're not fighting. You're not going and doing these crazy fights every single day. There, I feel like there's more pressure with what you do because you're training for so long for that one moment. Yeah. Then And then you go away to go prepare for the next one. Where with mm-hmm. me, I'm on tour. It's like I'm up there for, you know, t- a two months sometimes. And uh, clearly people aren't getting perfection every night from me. But um, fighting, you you can't. I mean, it, it's like a 50-50 line. It's win or lose. That's yeah. a lot yeah. of pressure. That's crazy pressure. Yeah. Um, so I, mean, I do, you go, I, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, you know, we, at the end of the day, it is 50-50 but the odds are more in your favor through the preparation and, you know, through what you're willing to sacrifice to get to that point. You know, I, for the Bellator tournament, when I became world champ, I slept in the cage at my gym for three months. I didn't go home. I didn't want to be comfortable. I wanted while I slept to train. You based. How do you, <laughs> how do you, like, how do you train in your sleep? I said, well, you know, my, my, my coach, uh, Tiger Shulman, he, he said, he was like, dude, you know, he's very, very good with words, very short too with words. Just straight to the point. He says, you want to win? Okay. Take away your phone. Don't go home. Come back with a mattress, put it in the cage and sleep there every night for three months. I looked at him. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Um, sure enough, you know, I, I, I understood it though. I understood the mindset is that, you know, you devote yourself in every form possible and at the end of the day because everyone is good at that point everyone in the ufc where i mean there's no real bad fighters you know there's there's just fighters that are better than others but when it gets down to it it's a battle of inches what are you willing to do that will separate you from someone else who's also great from someone else who's also training to take your head off from someone else who's looking at you as the you know, the antagonists of their life and the person who's trying to take food away from their plate and their families, you know, so me, <laughs> let me pre- ask you this. Preparation I, is everything. I'm dying. I can't, I'm gnawing at the bit here. Cause I'm just still processing sleeping in a cage, dude. What a soundbite. So do these people that are fighting you, do they know that you've been sleeping in the cage for three months? Like that's crazy. If you were like, yo, this dude's been sleeping in the cage for three months. What? Sorry, I'm being inconspicuous. I think is always something that is in the favor of the fighter. So we don't really. I mean, I don't know to be honest. I don't know what at that time what people knew or didn't knew. The only thing I knew because I slept in a cage and I wasn't comfortable and I put my phone away and I had nothing. I was just it was just eat oh. shit sleep training for three months. the The only thing that I knew is every time I did step in the uh, back into the cage because it was a tournament style which meant i fought every 30 days there's no downtime there's no fight and then months of a layoff it's every 30 days you're fighting again i knew that in 30 days i'm gonna go in there and i'm gonna step into a cage that made me feel like it's my cage like a territorial dog wow i looked across and i knew i was gonna win there was no doubt in my mind again because of the preparation Yo, that's heavy. I mean, that's amazing. 
and it's immaculate. Like the, the centered focus you have. And I think you could apply that to anything in life. I mean, I don't know what the equivalent of sleeping in a cage preparing for a, a tour is, but I'm going to consider it. Maybe I need to buy a tour bus and sleep in the tour bus all the time. <laughs> that's, that's, I respect the shit out of that. That's so cool. Um, so two things I had that I really wanted to bring up was number one, you're an MMA fighter. Did you start, was it MMA to begin with, or was there a style that morphed into what became MMA? Cause I'm, I'm ignorant. When did the term MMA and that style of incorporating different mixed martial arts begin? So was it always mixed martial arts for you? Um, at, at the time, I mean, if you're looking back then, like, you know, one of the first UFCs, it was considered like a human cockfighting. It was just two dudes going in. It was a blood sport. There was no real um, organized element to it. It was just whatever your style is versus whatever this dude's style is. Let's see who wins. Um, so when, over so when you over, were... Sorry. No, I'm just too too talkative today. So okay. when you started, it it wasn't a specific style. It, your your coaches were giving so you. So when just... I, yeah. So um, when I when I started, it was kind of everything. I was um, enveloped into the aspects of kickboxing, boxing, wrestling, and jujitsu. I didn't have you know going back to what I said earlier. I didn't start training as a kid where I had one specific um, formality. I didn't have a formal sense of training in anything. I just started when I was older and I jumped right in. So when I started, it was MMA at the time. The the organization and the the team that I trained out of, they had they've had always been doing mixed martial arts, but they were also um, you know, traditional style where they were doing like forms and katas and it was more like self-defense. But they were you know, they were very known for high level of martial arts, whether it was jujitsu or kickboxing. It's just through the growth of the sport and uh, the years of it being more popularized, you know, it, we just got tighter as a team in terms of what we focused on. So now it's jujitsu, uh, kickboxing, wrestling, uh, and boxing. Do you forge friendships with people that you fight after the fight's taken place? After the fight's been and done, are there ever instances where you become close on a personal level? Or is it kind of an unwritten rule in that world that you keep everybody at arm's length because you never know when you might have to fight them again? It's it's not often we fight each other again. But one thing I, I will say, you know, we we definitely shared an experience that will resonate for the, the rest of our lives that we can never, that no one will ever understand. I, I have this thing that I also put a picture of my opponent as soon as I know and it's signed and the ink is dry and I know for a fact this is who I'm fighting. I put them on my phone as my uh, wallpaper for the, the next two months. I love it. That's the dude that I'm I'm staring at and I'm focused on. This is the dude that all I my existence, if you think about it, technically is for this person because I'm doing everything that I'm doing for the next two months of my life for this person that's on my phone. Therefore, at the end of a fight, it's just like this mutual sense of respect. You know, sometimes it's um, more friendly than others. Sometimes it's like, ah, all right, good job. You know, fist pump. And then um, they go back their way. I go mine. Everyone's a little different. I just bring the approach of still keeping the integrity of the sport as a sport and not see it as a personal thing. Because at the end of the day, this is a job that we're doing. 
I go in there and I go in prepared with my skills as they do. And we're just doing our jobs. We're entertainers at the same time, but we're also, we're, we're enlisted into, you know, the, uh, an organization that we have to use our skills, our skills of violence, but it's still a sport. So at the end of the fight, we try to, you know, we always give each other that hug. Good job, bro. You know, I've, I've shared drinks with some of my opponents in the past. You know, afterwards we go to like the local bar, all beat up and cut up with stitches and black eyes. And of course you share freaking, you know, beer and alcohol, whatever. You just hang out together afterwards and you talk about your training and your preparation. You share that moment. The point is, is that there's just a moment in time where you only share that specific, unique experience with that individual that you'll never experience with someone else. You know, you'll experience with another opponent, but in in one's lifetime, you know, you only have the amount of opponents that you fight in your, you know, in, in your time frame. But each of those opponents were people that took away a fragment of time from your life, of devotion, of focus, of sacrifice, of hard work, of tears, of blood, of joy. I think it should be like a team building exercise for bands to go and watch stuff like this. Cause when you're, <laughs> when you're in a group and you, if you want to use the word compete, it's not competing, but you know, you're going through this performance together as one every night, night after night, it's such a different experience to doing it once and only once ever. And so, you know, the appreciation of that time shared is nowhere near as great because it's consistent. And I think it would be amazing for, you know, if you're doing like the whole Metallica, some kind of monster therapy mm -hmm. work on a band, <laughs> like let's take them to a fight and you can see what these fighters share when they you know share this experience together because it is real magic isn't it or you put gloves on all of them and just let them have at it. <laughs> both equally effective in very different ways oh yeah i'm telling you you there's no respect you'll have for someone unlike the person that you went to arm you know you went at arms with it's yo just... what that right there <laughs> our friend we did an episode a few back with um, uh, a name, a guy named Adam, who uh, has a group called Sacred Sons. He said exactly what you just said right there about ha having that respect for somebody after you get punched in the face by them, you look at them differently, and to yeah. be able to do what you do and come out of it without anger. And I think this is the the thing that was striking me throughout this conversation is. Anger was your nemesis, and I feel like anger has become your discipline. Like the fact that you're able to do what you do, and when you're done fighting, you're not holding on to animosity. It, it's like you've disciplined your brain and you've harnessed anger in such a way where it served you. You know, you've been able to use that anger to be where you are throughout your life. That's powerful i think what you do there's so much of it that's mental all we see is the physical when we see your instagram or see you fight but the amount of mental work that you're doing you know going back to the sleeping in the cage or putting him on your phone like that's intense that's intense dude so anger has become this common thing in your life and it used to be very detrimental to you and now it's it serves you that's pretty incredible um, I, in my later years, have come to terms with the idea that all emotions are good. 
no matter the spectrum of where the emotion lies, good or bad, no matter where in the spectrum, at the end of the day, it's energy. Hmm. I mentioned earlier that we're all born with cards that were dealt and we have no control over that. Some people are born to riches. Some people are born into poverty and whatever. At the end of the day is what you do with it. The emotions that we embrace can either become our blessing or they could become our our downfalls. I grew up having to go through what I had to go through to understand that today at 37 years old because we're constantly evolving as people. We evolve so as long as we accept, first of all, that we know nothing as much as we live egotistical um, uh, you know, uh, forms of life. We think we're it. We think we know it all. We're not God. We're not the universe. You know, there, there's always more to be had. Um, when you understand that, you understand too that you are not your emotions, that your emotions are rather instruments. The emotions that I was born with, they just happen to become instruments of warfare, a mental warfare, spiritual warfare. These are all elements that I learned to forge into metals that helped me later in life. I don't know if if I didn't go through the things I went through as a child. You know, I went through abuse as a child. I skipped over a lot of things through childhood. You know, I, I don't want to give the sob story. I always want to try to keep things positive. But I, I went through abuse. I went through, you know, seeing a lot, seen a lot of things and went through a lot of things. But at the end of the day, Many people have as well, but what makes one person different from the other is just their ability to see that all emotions are just energy. And it's a matter, like you said, that you're able to harness that and tap into that shit and know that that is your strength. It's not your weakness. Mm -hmm. I always saw growing up as a kid that emotions are a weakness. That's why I was also very quiet. You know, I, I, I wouldn't share or divulge. I was always a very quiet kid because... I had one experience that locked me up with crazy people because of my emotions. So I was disparaged. I felt like because of that, it's like the universe saying, you know, don't show emotions. Look, look at what, look where it's putting you. It's literally getting you locked up with fucking, you know, lunatics. But later in life, I realized, no, it's actually just knowing how to control it so much so that in the world of fighting, where one would think anger is the instrument of, you know, the, the thing that you tap into in a sense it is, but is not really what you use. You know, I've had fights and I swear to God, I've had fights where I've, I've meditate and I sit and I would meditate in love. And I would say like, I don't hate my opponent. I know. I remember, I, I even remember a, a prayer or one time I was meditating, I was saying this to myself and I said, I'm about to do, I'm about to hurt somebody. I'm going to use violence as my instrument of doing what it is that I am about to do and what I need to do. However, it does not make us violent men. I pray that me and my opponent walk out of the cage without injury, without being hurt. We will physically be hurt, whether it's myself or my opponent but that I will not go in there with hatred. Hatred will be the vein that I tap into to make me the lime and good that people expect me to be that night. But when I walk out of that cage, I do not walk out with hate. 
in my heart. And I remember that's kind of a mantra that I've used several times in my fights. And it's been the times that I've used it, some of my best fights. You know, the a pivotal moment for me in my career was when I fought in Madison Square Garden. I've always wanted to fight there. I grew up in New York City, so it was a no-brainer. You know, the iconic building of the many greats in the world. So that was a mantra I brought with me into that fight. I remember I just, I didn't sit heavy. I didn't have the anger that I, that sat heavy in my heart my entire life. The times that I've learned to harness my anger and control it and just use it because it's energy were the times that I felt the most focused. You know, anger could either burn you and do things to you that just, you're, you're not yourself. Or it could also be something that just makes your senses more acute, makes you stronger, makes you more focused on what you're going to do, whatever it is that you're going to do, do with it. You know, so to what you were saying about your friend saying that, you know, uh, about the anger thing, like it's, it's true. And I agree, you know, we don't have hate or anger towards each other. You know, you, it, it fucks with your ability to focus in a fight, but you go in there with just this heightened sense of awareness, this heightened sense of focus, but the anger is not towards your opponent. The anger is just, man, like we all have that anger, the anger that you had as a kid you know, things that you probably went through that, that like it, it is sitting in your head all the time, the anger of, you know, things that happen to you when you, you know, in your, with your family, the anger of whatever, all that is at the end of the day is energy. And if you use it the right way, it makes you do amazing things in life. Wow. A lot of wisdom right there. Wow. Yep. Mic amazing. drop. <laughs> Dude. Damn. I think it's so good how music, going back to music, has brought so many amazing people into mine and Jesse's lives from totally different ends of the human spectrum. Mm -hmm. And we get to speak to so many of them through this show. And the common thread of music being the kind of central identifying force that pulls people together. But it really leads and feeds into so many other awesome avenues. And I had no idea about you know, the level, I mean, I kind of did, but I, I'm very like Jesse, I'm very uninformed when it comes to what you do. Um, mm. And just listening to you talk about the mindset that you go into these fights with and how you live your life is just nothing short of, of mind-blowingly inspirational. You know, it's, yeah. I don't want to give a facade either, you know, and play pretend here. You know, when I, when I messaged Jesse, um, can't remember how long ago that was. I, I was must have been within two years ago or so. But um, you know, I I wasn't free from you know we were just talking about anger and stuff. I had a, a, a I feel like I had a, I got I tapped into a side of me as a kid that um I feel like uh, I lost control. I lost myself a little bit. Um, I reached out to to um, Jesse at a time. I had lost my dad at the time. I don't remember if I, I, I might've mentioned that, but that you brought did. up a lot of, yeah. That to me brought up a, a, a lot of things, man. Like it was like uh, uh, the culmination of everything in my life. It's like, I, I feel like I was back 
to uh, where I was, I, I felt like it was a retreat, a retreat of, you know, childhood because um, I lost my father. The last conversation I had with him was out of anger, you know? So when, when I'm talking about this whole anger thing, I, I'm not saying it from a, a high and almighty perspective. You know, I'm not trying to say it like, you know, um, like in a movie, like happy ending, here I am now. I'm saying it because it did burn me. It, you know, it made me say some things to my father that I can never take back. Um, well, that's very humble of you to, you know, admit that on this platform now and take ownership of that. And, you know, as much as people could have learned from what you said before, they can probably learn even more from what you're saying now. Yeah. Um, everything's perspective in life, right? But um, I feel like, um, you know, we make mistakes in life, you know, and I'm not, I, 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 ver I humble myself to the will of, you know, the world and the universe and of God and, you know, whatever, you know, the, the higher powers be. I, I give myself to its will, understanding that at the end of the day, we're still human. And part of the pressure of being who I am is that I always have to be the lime and good that people see and revere and look at, you know, and, and that inspires people and motivates people. But what they don't know is for me to be the person that they see there's a other there's a side of me as well that goes through a lot that makes a lot of mistakes you know i'm in no position to say you know uh, to, to be self-centered and say that, that all the things i went through was, was because of childhood stuff here i am now now i help people i've you know i've done things in life as well that i don't want to say that i regret but it's just it gives me a different perspective about it now you know, one of the things was with my father, you know, and I, um, he had reached out to me after many years of not being around, you know, my, my mother did what she had to, to survive for us to have a life. So she made a decision to not have him around. He was an alcoholic. He, um, he was who he was, doesn't take away that he's my father. I'll always love him, but it was just not good circumstances. And it wasn't good for my sisters. I went through it and I was fine. I literally saw my father die before my eyes and he got resuscitated. Um, I've seen things, but I'm fine. It was more for my sisters. So my mom made a decision years later. Sorry, my dog is. Uh, years later, my dad reaches out and anger, bro, like, Yeah, but that's that's understandable, brother. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, we're all human. And to give you a minute to, to catch your breath, um, first of all, thank you for sharing that, because I I I need to hear that. Honestly, I'm one of those people who is seen as a certain type of person, and I I took down that sort of third wall years ago when I started talking about mental health issues. And recently, recently, I've dealt with my own anger and saw a side of me that I have really never tapped into. And it really took me through a whole mental, I, I don't even know how to begin with it, but this whole podcast up until this point 
you know, was so motivational and inspiring for me. But when you just started to speak about what you just talked about, it took it to a whole other level. And I'm sure Matt can agree. I felt the shift in energy. I could see it on your face. And that's brave. And I think people need to hear this type of stuff. It's so necessary when you allow yourself to be vulnerable. The motivational stuff is incredible. It's beautiful. It's awesome. But it's this kind of shit that this kind of shit right here that saves people's lives when they can hear the fact that someone they deem as a hero or a poster boy for something has this darkness that they continually have to deal with. And I'm 100% there with you, brother. Um, I've had a, a hell of a couple weeks and it's really made me rethink some stuff and, and, and cling to my spirituality and cling to the things that are good in my life and to realize that everybody's flawed. Everybody has something in their life that they've done or said that they wish they could take back. And I also like that you said you, you, not, you don't know if you necessarily regret it. I like that you said that too, because you can't live in regret. You can't say what if. You have to own it, move forward, and again, add that to your arsenal of things that make you strong and propel you forward. So it's continuing as, as, as sad as this is in this moment, and I can feel the heaviness of it. It's still motivating. It's still beautiful, and I think that it's super important that you said what you said, and you are allowed yourself to be vulnerable on this podcast. That's what it's all about. So thank you for that. I needed to hear it as well. I appreciate that. Thank you for, um, I guess, allowing me the platform to be that. I think one of the things that uh, resonated with you know seeing your posts and your messages, and even messages in your in your music was exactly that um i i think i when i uh, had reached out to you it was probably one of the songs i was listening to and i won't lie to you and say that i was at the time because of the choices that i had made that i i can't take back um i was destroying myself i was trying to I guess, punish myself. Um, what also came about it was, I have two other sisters, half sisters. Um, and we've been for years uh, trying to, I guess, repair a relationship or at least form one. It wasn't a bad relationship we had. We just never had one. We were trying to forge and uh, create a relationship we started talking to what well, there was one sister in particular that I was uh connecting with and um despite that my father wasn't there to kind of help you know um form that relationship between her and I we just did it completely of our own accord we did it together um between her and my other sister after my dad passed they made decision and that whole side of the family you know i have a very fucking uh crooked family tree crixus i love that the um, dog just knows to be there for you or has to yeah, go out or something i love it yeah, for those who can't star. hear it there's a there's a little rattweiler making little noises it's okay. it's so it's kind of adorable dude um uh what was i saying my crooked family tree yeah no nah, that um they didn't um they didn't allow me to be part of my my father's arrangements. They kept it from me and did it behind my back. This is actually, um, I guess, bringing 
the podcast now to present day. Um, I fought almost, my last fight was almost three years ago, a, f- a few days, uh, bef- a few days shy of my birthday and a few days before my last fight that I fought. I had, had found out the news about my father that he had passed away. Bro, like my, the heaviness that saddened me wasn't just for his passing, but in the fact that I almost immediately, it, it was weird. My first reaction was to call him, but I, it was, it was weird. Um, so I was trying to get in touch with my sisters, uh, my half sisters, uh, the ones that aren't, that aren't here. And then I hear nothing. They kept me and my, you know, the other side of the family in the dark. And then next thing you know, it's like, it's done. They had the arrangements, they cremated them, they had a whole fucking ceremony and didn't invite me to it. So not only do I have to sit in the anger of, you know, the 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 words I said last to him, but now I can never, I wasn't there for closure, to have closure uh, from his uh, his arrangements, but also like to feel like my own family turned against me. But the reason they turned against me and they're they're upset is because they don't know what our father, um, they don't know. So a lot of things I keep from them because I want them to try to, I, I've wanted them for years to try to make a, a, a relationship. I was around for my father. My sisters were around for my father. They weren't. And they weren't around to see and to know. But I'm not going to be the person to speak ill of our father. And I'm not going to try to ruin that for them. They wanted to try to form a relationship. Good. I I, I, I advised them to go. And I told them, you know, I hope it works out for you. But they were always upset that I wasn't trying to, you know, um, allow our father back. But meanwhile, they don't know. They don't know the things that I know. It's got to so, be um, very, dif- very difficult to to withhold because it's, I, I think most people in that situation would probably just blurt out things to sort of save your own, you know, skin to have somebody view you as better than they're viewing you. So the fact that you did that is extremely humble. It's very strong of you. I admire that. Um, but I can't imagine having to go through what you went through and have those thoughts and not to be able to mourn properly, especially with all that you went through with him. I think the grieving process, which I actually just went through myself this past week of a friend passing quickly, um, the grieving process. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, the grieving process, though, thank you. The grieving process is so important. And gathering together with people under the same roof to grieve a person, whether your relationship with that person was good or bad, Mm. that's powerful. That's powerful. Like you kind of, humans need that. And when I was younger, I was very sort of, ah, funerals, all that stuff. I never liked it. I was never comfortable with it. But I would say the past couple of years from what I've experienced, that stuff is really important. So to to not have that, to not, to be able to process that with people around you that could sort of talk and just get it out on the table as a community, that's got to be difficult, my friend. And I respect the hell out of you for continuing to hold your ground with you know keeping your opinions to yourself or the facts to yourself that's huge yeah, but I, I i'm sorry that you had to go through that that's heavy it's you know it's it's part of life again it's not 
people, it's part of life. People die, people pass away, but you know, we, we live for memories. We live for the experiences and the times that we share with these people. The last thing I'll ever share with my father was my last words to him. You know, they were very unpleasant. Um, and, um, well, then my way of coping and dealing was, you know, one that I've, I've never done before. I just started, I started drinking. I started finding ways to punish myself for almost two years. It's only been until recently. I, um, uh, it's funny that you're reaching out to me now at this point in my healing, but, um, if you had reached out to me earlier, probably like a year or two earlier, I'd be a different person because I was not good to myself. Mm. And I think that's when I had reached out to you because I was, I was in it. I was, um, if I, I was at the bottom of a bottle every night in the morning during the day, I separated myself from the school and my students so that they wouldn't see that. Um, I kept it to myself, but of the people that I trusted this information with, because part of me wanted to reach out for help. I just didn't know how to, you know, we're always being the strong person and people come to me for help. How do I reach out to people for help without seeming weak, without seeming like this person who's like, he's lost his ways, you know, after, after my dad passed, um, I was in a almost a 10 year relationship that also ended because of the person I became because of um, well, I I hated myself so much. But um, yeah, take a minute. Like I said, I was take uh, a breather, bro. If you need to take a yeah, breather, take good. a minute. Yeah, sorry about that. Don't um, be sorry. That's what this is all about, brother. That's why we're here. That's why we do this podcast is for this type of stuff. This is powerful. So thank you for sharing. But yeah, so continue if you need to. So one, um, and then I got. <laughs> I got locked up again in a psychiatric institution. I had, um, you know, I I found myself back, <laughs> funny enough, back where I was many years ago when I had to have a turning point in life. You know, ironically enough, it was the same exact experience all over again. And then funny enough was the shift again that needed to happen. For me to realize that I can't keep doing this, you know, I'm I'm older now. Now it's a different. This is a different tide that we're up against, but I'm a different person who's able to swim it better. And I can't do this. Uh, first person, I mean, first and foremost, my mother. You know, my mom would cry every day. She'd leave me these voicemails that I. It was terrible. Like she she would never know if her son would make it home that night because I'd disappear and go off to like upstate New York by the woods late at night. Um, you know, there, there were some close encounters too that I've had with, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be around, you know, I've done some dumb things to, you know, um, 
to hurt myself, basically. Um, and then I, when I got out of the hospital, <laughs> I said, you know, I, I have to change. If I don't now, I never will. You know, the older we become, the more solid in our foundation of the person that we become, the person that we are. So if I let this keep happening, this is what I'm going to be, mm. you know, in essence, like my father, you know, I'm the third, by the way, Lyman Good. So I feel like God, you know, they say third time's a charm. Uh, I didn't know my father. My father didn't know his father. Uh, there was a streamline of alcohol that ran in the family, alcoholism and addiction. So I'm like, fuck, <laughs> here I am, you know, doing exactly that. And then um, I had to try to come to terms with forgiveness, try to forgive myself and try to forgive other people as well. You know, and in that time, bro, like I've I've hurt people hurt people i've hurt myself i've hurt my mom i was in i was in a pattern of very self-destructive behaviors you know to spare you more details but um i'm here now you know so how is your relationship with alcohol now i stopped stopped completely yeah i stopped i stopped because i had to mm. um it was difficult at first because i was relapsing um, but I had to remind myself again, you know, I, I listened to the voice, <laughs> voicemail messages of my mother. I still keep it on my phone to remind myself that I'm not just doing this to myself. Uh, I'm hurting the people who love me. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever I get in a funk, I'd play the recording of my mom. Um, but I also remind myself of the position that I am. You know, I, I train people for a living. I'm a coach and mentor to a school of people. I own a business, you know, and I teach for a living. And this isn't the way. This isn't, you know, who they need right now. That's why I removed myself for almost two years from the school. I, I wasn't present. They don't know why. I think those closest, my, my high-ranking students who are, I'm, you know, kind of close to, I think they have an idea of why they know. But as far as they're concerned, I'm just uh, their leader who just kind of vanished for two years. As far as people who see me as a fighter, I'm the fighter who stopped fighting for two years, almost three, three, three years now. So I kind of had this, like, uh, this position in life where I've sort of vanished a little bit and just started showing up again recently again with you know trying to be positive and no matter what's going on in my life that it doesn't matter because other people going through worse other people going through things too that i need to just be resilient and show strength that at the end of the day no one really cares what you go through people don't really care you know and that's not a bad thing it's just life people are going through their own stuff so what's more important is not the story of like the shit that I've gone through because we all go through shit, but it's more about what I've done with it and how it's, I'm using it to help me to heal finally. Cause I'm healing from things from like, from when I was nine, nine years old, I've ignored it. 
Recently, I've come to the understanding that sometimes we hide behind the veil of the person that other people see you as. I don't know if that makes sense. Does to me. <laughs> people see this Lyman good, you know, and the fighter and the whatever, whatever they see me as, but it's in a position to help others. And we get so fixated on that, that that becomes a distraction from your own healing because it's like you, you, you fall into the, the, uh, I don't want to say illusion, but you fall into, uh, I don't know, the distraction of trying to maintain that at all times that you have to always be strong. You have to always be the person that people see you as forgetting, you know, while you're forgetting that at the end of the day, you were who you are at nine years old still that hasn't been resolved you know it hasn't been healed and in a strange kind of way it all finally started to happen for me the healing when my dad died and me going through alcoholism and the addiction and getting you know hospitalized again and a bunch of other stuff dude like i had to go through all that again the same way i did when i was younger to be strong again and that's why i said earlier that all emotions good or bad it's energy at the end of the day so i'm trying to use that energy to inspire me again to be strong again and to remind myself that yeah i am that person that people see but i'm also human i make mistakes like everyone else i'm not perfect i'm not trying to be perfect i'm exactly who i am perfectly flawed just like the rest of the world but i'm just choosing to make make amends with the past and I'm choosing to use the cards that I'm dealt with to help others to help myself first of all because I can't help others if I don't help me first you know so I don't know bro I feel like I went on a tangent just talking but no there was no tangent <laughs> there man just you know huge profound and a lot a lot to take in and hear and, and comprehend and a lot of what you said connected with me on a very deep level, you know, like strange father situation, relationship struggles with alcohol. Like, you know, there's definitely stories that overlap with those themes and, and mine and yours being too. Um, yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to know what to say without sounding trite because everything you've said is so magic and, and massive, but honestly, just to reiterate, what I said earlier and how I genuinely feel in my heart, like your story is so incredible and inspirational and to have you share it on here in such a way has really affected me today um, in a very positive and empowering way. And I thank you for that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. Probably one of the first times I've been out front and um, honest. So Thank you. Well, honesty is good and it feels good to, I think, be honest with ourselves and to hear other people be honest, I think feels good as well. It feels reassuring. And this yeah. has been a massively reassuring chat for me. Yeah. And a necessary one for me, I feel like there's, you know, that feeling of that tight tension in my chest that's been there for weeks. It's a little looser from hearing your truth uh, because I've been dealing with my own stuff lately and a lot of the things you said really struck a chord with me uh, and i know for sure people who listen to this are going to get a lot out of it 
you know, we could have we could have ended our podcast maybe a half hour ago and it still would have been a great episode. But because <laughs> of that, <laughs> no, no, bec- no, do not. I'm I, I am 100 percent certain that this might be one of the most important podcasts that we've done to date um, because you continued on and allowed yourself you know, when earlier you were talking about you were sort of skipping over details and in my back of my mind, I was like, oh, what are those details? But the fact that you what you did let out. Was because it's, it's now is so important. And, you know, what we've all been through collectively as a human race in the past three years, four years, however long you want to look at what happened to the world. A lot of us had to deal with our demons. We had to sit still. You know, we had to sort of do self-reflection. Um, but you have to do that constantly. It's never ending, right? Like just because you go through something and you come out of, you know, therapy or the hospital or you come out of addiction and, you know, you're okay kind of now, that's just the beginning of of it's not the end. And I'm seeing that as a reoccurring pattern in a lot of people's lives where this what we do as a human it's never ending you're never gonna just be okay like there's no such thing as that you have to continue to put in the work and people need to hear that because when you go through something that's rough or brutal and you're self-hating or you're abused you know people need to hear that there are other people that have gone through it and come out of it and continue to put in the work so i'm gonna go on record and say that this uh, this episode to me is just not only just important for me, but it's going to be super important for everyone that hears it. And I, I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on here and being fucking brave enough to do what you just did. I struggle with knowing what side of me people want. Um, I'll, I'll keep it short, but um, uh, you know, one of the turning points for the relationship with uh, my sister, the one that's here, I'm close. I have two sisters that are they're from the good family, the good side, <laughs> literally. Uh, Kirsty, Kirsty, good. One of the turning points for our relationship was when I stopped trying to be Superman to her, because she was also going. I mean, we're just talking about me. My, you know, my sisters were going through it as well after my dad passed. You know, I'm more so for them because it's different for a, a woman. Everyone knows women's relationships with dad is different than the boy's relationship with dad but um i stopped trying to be superman for her and she said and i'll never forget this i was like man this this is gold like what she's telling me it's important is that she doesn't want to know that her brother is okay because she knows he's not because in the midst of everything going on i would still get messages and i'm like no no i'm okay i'm okay i'm okay and it's such a fucking like a, a a back and forth struggle that I had in my head for so long with being lime and good, being the you know strong, and then allowing myself in secret in my room in the dark at home, being allowing myself to be this other person. I struggled with it back and forth, back and forth, and she just said like, "I don't want to know that my brother's okay. I know he's not. I want my brother to just be my brother." I don't need him to be my dad. I don't need him to be anything else than I just need a brother. And I think what she meant by that was to to show her. So I let her in. I started telling her everything that was going on. She was like my my confidant person. I would 
tell whenever I was having my, you know, my dark times. Like she was around for a lot of it to see a lot of the shit I was doing to myself. And that changed our relationship. At first I was flinchy. I was like, fuck, like I'm I'm letting people see the side of me, you know. But it helped our relationship. So for me, I, I struggle still with knowing what side of me people want to know or want to get to know. Because people always want to get to know the good side. But there's a I side of me. Go ahead. I was going to say all of it. People need to know all of it, I think. Yeah. Because it's it's helpful. It's more motivational to see the big picture than just to see what, you know, and I think that's a common misconception with social media. Obviously, we only put up the good things for the most part mm -hmm. when you're a professional. But shit, you know, those one posts or so where someone goes in and says, this is dark, this is what I'm going through. People mm -hmm. need that shit. People need yeah. all of you. I agree. So I appreciate you also, you know, putting yourself out there because it inspires others to do the same. I look at others and how they're just putting it out there, you know, putting their heart in their sleeve and letting people know, like, we all fucking bleed the same. We're all humans at the end of the day. Nobody's perfect. Mm -hmm. And by doing so, I feel like we allow. Once we allow energy flows we become who we meant to be because maybe at that time in our lives we're meant to be someone who needs to heal we're always trying to fulfill this duty this responsibility of being what people want you to be that you deny yourself the privilege of allowing yourself to be what you need to be knowing nothing of the world that you operate in as a professional dude just for what it's worth my opinion would be this what you see Jesse doing, I think there is a thousand million people who fight and are, you know, just professional athletes across the board, males specifically, who would benefit so much from the vulnerability that you showed us today on social media, whether it's, you know, obviously I know you help and you train people, but to do what you do with the physical and, and the mental hand in hand, I think would be a game changer. I don't know if you do much of that already, but to be like a mentor and a therapist and a counselor, to fighters, I think, is a calling that I've seen in effect here today that is something if you're not already thinking about, you definitely should. Thank you. Without telling Thank you, you what to do with your life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, yeah, it's important. It really is important. Um, this is the type of stuff. And I know there are people wiping tears from their eyes during this episode. I know it. I know it. Um, because this is the stuff of life. It really is. And, and I will, I will say this for me before we, you know, end this, I think it's super important for you to hear me say this, but also everyone listening strength. This is strength. It is not weakness. Uh, and, and that's a common misconception that people have is like, you've got to be this stone, you know, this, this just pillar of strength, no matter what you do, whether you're a lead singer of a metal band or you're a fighter, whatever the case may be. There is so much strength in letting people know your vulnerability and your honesty because how easy is it just to cover it up and not talk about it? To come out and say it and to expose yourself and to allow the tears to flow, that is strength. That's power. And I respect that so much more than somebody who just keeps the wall up and keeps the facade. There's enough fake shit in this world. This is the yeah. stuff I live for, this shit right here. And this is what changes the world, changes people. So Me too commend you for that part of it is just not caring not caring what people think we've been you know uh, domesticated 
our, our all of our spirits and you know our 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 beings have been domesticated by you know society by people who don't fucking matter i mean i mean everyone matters but i'm saying like to strangers like you're trying to right. be what for who at the end of the day be what is needed for yourself and in doing so at least you're authentic you're generally who you are at the end of the day but if you can do that and not give a fuck what people think you know i've only learned to do that now i'm at a point in my life with everything that's happened you almost don't have a choice you just don't care anymore mm. and i got to a point where i just don't care I'm not going to lie. It took me some time to prep for us talking because I said, man, I was like, fuck, this is, I hope I don't say things that I don't want to talk about, but I'm just going to leave it to the moment rather than prepare myself, say like, all right, I'm just going to stick to this and only this. I came in very open-minded. So I, I want to thank you guys for the opportunity. I know you guys got to wrap up, but um. No, we don't. It just it just feels like a nice point too. There's there's absolutely no rush. But I I if I can say this, I notice such a huge difference in you now to the person at the start of the conversation. <laughs> I I could see that you were trying to be composed and think about what you were saying, and and then it began to just flow as as these conversations always do. And that's when the real magic happens when you're just in the moment. Everybody's there in the same exact space of you know ideas and emotional flow, and a beautiful thing happened today. Well, several. It was it was real as real as it gets. It was awesome. Mm. I also want I also want to give love to puppy because I see tail waggings <laughs> and the fact that that dog has been around you the whole time you've been talking. You yeah. know, there's something to be said yeah. about and yeah, there you go. I'll show the dog. so <laughs> people watch people who can't see. There's a, a really cute Rottweiler in the screen right now, but I kept seeing his tail and then I know he's like circling around you. So yeah. I just want to I always want to give love to the dog and all the animals that take care of us when we're. We're not doing so well because the animals have that crazy sense to know when to, to oh, yeah. come and, and comfort their their uh, their person. I love it. Besides, yeah. Besides, started hanging out with me more towards yeah. later in the <laughs> podcast. You can uh, hear him. I can actually hear him going. Hoo, hoo. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Man, man's best friend, indeed. Oh, I love you guys, it. Man. You guys so, have any pets? I have no, two cats. He's a cat man. Two cats. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, I love God them bless. very much. Oh, I, yeah. I sing to them. I talk to them every day. <laughs> I love a Man, good dog can, cameo on the hear, show, though. Yeah. yeah. We can hear uh, what our pets are thinking. They're the ones who truly say, like, we're fucking out of our minds. Yeah. <laughs> I feel, I, but I feel like dogs would probably be very positive for the most part, and cats would be talking shit probably the whole time. <laughs> I, I feel that way, too. I feel like cats would stare at us like, yeah. And you're... <laughs> dogs just want just want to be fed and yeah that is love play. it's all yeah, love it is dopey <laughs> <laughs> well thank you brother beautiful. this is yeah incredible incredible man so Guys, good thank you so much again for the opportunity um thank you for letting me talk and explore and sorry if we went over on time i don't know no, no, kinda... no. we make the rules on this show we go as long yeah. as we want um, we got to come and, you know, spend some time with you, you know, whether that's watching you do what you do or just in a social context, I'd love to, to link up in, in person and yeah. you know, continue the conversation. Oh yeah. I'm a very personable guy, like podcast or not show or not, whatever, like, dude, if you guys are ever in the city, you want to hit me up, hang out or for coffee, drinks or food, whatever, sit me up. If you guys ever yeah, want to talk shit, you, um... hit me up. 
you put your phone number in the chat and I'll, I'll text you today and, and, you know, reach out on a personal if you ever need and, and vice versa. I might do the same for you. Yeah. Or maybe you can teach me how to like do something with this body of mine. <laughs> Hell yeah. Bro, let's do it. Uh, man. pleasure my friend in the city like i said if you're ever in the city i own a school downtown manhattan teach people for a living so be be an honor kind of what you, you do throw yeah. It down. Yeah. <laughs> and if you guys awesome. ever get in a scuffle let me know i could uh yeah <laughs> i could referee that match oh my god <laughs> we should do one for charity me versus jesse oh my god oh shit no. <laughs> oh shit <laughs> Nobody yeah, wants dude, to see that. <laughs> this was absolutely epic. Thank you so much, man. Just, you know, yeah. I've I've had many amazing conversations on on the show that I do on my own and on this one. And as Jesse sort of alluded to earlier, this is the absolute top category, like one of, if not the best ones ever. It was that, that great. So yeah. big up. Thank uh, you. Thank you for uh, allowing me to talk and for the opportunity again. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day. You too, and, brother. Uh, hope everything's going good with uh, both of you and your personal lives too. I know we talk sometimes superficially and we sign off, but hope things are going great for you in your life now, Jesse. And same for you, Matt. Hope everything's good. And even if it's not, it'll be all right. We got each other. Strength in numbers. Yes, brother. You know, so hit me up if you guys ever need anything. Thank you, my friend. Love it. Good man. All right, brother. Take Thanks, care, guys. Man. Cheers, Later, brother. Guys. Thank you. googled your own name prepare for a shock because your personal info including addresses and phone numbers is out there especially with the recent hacks at some big phone and healthcare companies but here's where aura steps in aura scans the dark web for your sensitive information and sends real-time alerts aura also actively requests that your information be removed from data broker sites putting you back in control aura provides you with a complete online safety toolkit credit and transaction monitoring a secure password manager, a privacy-enhancing VPN, and more. Try Aura risk-free with a 14-day trial at Aura.com slash safety. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash safety. Rest easy with Aura. Visit A-U-R-A dot com slash safety today.